Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Hall of Justice comic cast. As always, I'm your host, the Above Average Joe, and with me again is... Mighty Mike! And today we are actually going to be discussing The Defenders, Marvel's constant non-team. And as we all know, the Netflix series released a couple weeks ago, and it's been pretty popular, but we thought we would take a moment and actually discuss their comic book history and the different incarnations of the team, because they are not the team you think they are. Stroll down memory lane. So let's get into the Defenders. Uh, Mike, you want to start us off with a bit of a history? How did they come into being? Uh, yeah, the first team came together back in 1971. Say what? So uh, these ain't your uh, new boy on the block superhero team. These guys have been around for a while. Uh, the original exception was created by Roy Thomas and occurred in Marvel feature number one. The original lineup was Doctor Strange as the leader, Hulk, Namor and Silver Surfer. And Silver Surfer joined eventually, right? He was yes. it was just the three. Not at the very beginning of the inception, but they brought him in as a power player shortly after that. Kind of like how Cap got reintroduced to the Avengers. Yes. Good old uh, Norrenrad needed some soul searching after he lost being the uh, the herald of Galactus. Well, and he that's found a job that you should be thankful to get rid of. Mhm. And uh, they basically did with mystical mayhap and it was they it was a happenstance. It wasn't like, hey, this is the team. We're going to do these things. It was, we had, Doctor Strange discovered a supernatural threat, and he was like, I can't face this on my loan. On my loan. Uh, he had, he got a, so he used that loan of his credit with other superheroes and got them involved. Basically blackmailing Namor because he was like, Well, how hey, else do you get Namor on I a know, team? right? It's like you just gotta grab there, him by There are two ways to get sandals. Namor involved in a team. You either blackmail him or you have a hot blonde who's married to someone else. Oh, sorry, did I just bring up both the X-Men and Fantastic oh, Four on that, that one? That'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah, there, there we go. go Nerd rage. Okay, Bad moving turn. on. So they dealt primarily with mystic and supernatural threats. They weren't necessarily mm-hmm. this streetwise team that everyone kind of thinks they are now. In fact, at the time, the street-level team that, was, that existed in Marvel was actually the Champions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll talk about that in another episode because the champions have actually got a new book out and it's great. So they're they are, they're established in the seventies and it's some power play characters, right? You've got Namor, who is of course one of the more powerful characters in the Marvel universe. Silver Surfer, again, powerhouse, the Hulk, mm-hmm. Doctor Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme. So this is not a low level team in any way. No, and it was it was like the feature of the week as it was aired in Marvel feature, and it had such popularity. And at the time, there wasn't a, too many big teams, uh, but they slipped right in there, and people liked the joining of them. But they were worried about the future because each one of these uh, characters were really big mainline characters, with the exception of Namor a bit. But everybody else had, you know, had their own ongoing issues. So a lot of the editors at Marvel Comics were worried about the longevity that they could hold as a team of defenders. So soon after, they brought in other characters to kind of brush out the roster and make this more of a thing. Yeah, the Defenders have always had kind of a more a, a quicker rotation through the through the roster than say the Avengers. The Avengers tend to have a, a staple bench of characters that last several years, and the Defenders mm-hmm. changed almost every couple of issues. Yes, it was a, like the only real character that has been consistent through most incarnations of the Defenders has been Doctor Strange. Yes, he's always been the one to assemble them. So that was their first arc in the 70s, and they had some you know, ups and downs there. They were pretty popular, but they eventually went the way uh, of a lot of you know 
teams in, in, in the Marvel Universe where they just they lost relativity and were canceled. But they came back in uh, 93 for a short run from 93 to 95 under the Secret Defenders. Actually, before that. Well, they, they, they did rename it New Defenders, didn't yes, they? Yes, there the was 80s, a second right. team in uh, 1983 uh, that took over because... This is all I'll tell you. Like, the, it was Defenders 125. Mm-hmm. So they had been a mainstay for a while. 125 issues is nothing to laugh at. But they saw that these characters' popularity, and they're like, hey, they have their own mainline stories. We can't keep getting them involved with this. Oh, because back then Marvel was conscious of having too many people involved with too many other things. What? Events weren't oh. the, the order of the day? <gasps> So, Doctor Strange and the group became aware of a prophecy that if the core team of four that at that time had been established, as we've talked about Hulk, Doctor Strange, Silver Surfer, and Namor, stayed together, that they would destroy the world. So, not wanting that to happen, uh, they established a new team with Beast as the leader, Valkyrie, Gargoyle, Angel, Iceman, and Moondragon. Uh, And you can tell this heavily influenced... X-Men team, and they sought government approval to kind of make them a little bit more of a mainstay and make them have more credit. Uh, and yeah, because this, this was after the collapse of Iceman's team, the Champions. Yes. And it's really cool that you brought up the government uh, oversight, because that's actually a story arc that played out much later in Avengers with them becoming government sponsors. Mm-hmm. So they were one of the very first deputized superhero teams Which is especially ironic because they were comprised mostly of mutants. Weird how that works, huh? Yeah. And because of that, it didn't really grab on as much, but they they eventually cheated out and broke up in 1986. But, um, no, it's cool that you brought that up because the next team that came after that was some more supporting characters. Uh, You you mentioned Valkyrie, but also Hellcat at one point, Mm -hmm. uh, Son of Satan, who was a relatively mid-tier mystic character in the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. They, he, he's popped up more recently, but for a long time was kind of just out there, lost in the ether. The Defenders has always kind of been the book where they took supporting characters and other from other franchises and gave them a team in their own right. I mean, Valkyrie hasn't been part of a team before until this moment, and then again doesn't pop up on another team until much later, also another Defenders book yes. we'll talk about later on. Speaking of uh, a peek ahead... Also, with uh, Luke Cage and Iron Fist, in this time period, made their first appearances on the Defenders. In 1974, uh, Luke Cage made his appearance. In 1978, Iron Fist made his appearance. But these were already established characters, almost as old as the Defenders, because Iron Man and Power Man... Iron Fist... Iron Man and Power Man... Iron Fist and Power Man uh, originally came out in 1972, so only one year after the inception of the original Defenders. A little bit of trivia here for Iron Fist. Um, his book is actually where Sabretooth first appeared. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wolverine's arch nemesis appeared in Iron Fist. Not the first time that's happened in the history of Marvel. And we get Wolverine from Hulk, so that's why the Defenders remain important, because they were taking those side characters from other comics and giving them a new place and a new life to a new lease on life to kind of run and see where we could take those characters it's been kind of an interesting breeding ground for characters uh for these characters because originally it was it was founded on the backs of characters that were incredibly popular Mm -hmm. and they were worried about them not being able to maintain the continuity of the book because of their own ongoing series 
And then later on, it turned into, hey, these are characters that are that are popular but can't hold their own book for too long. So we put them on the Defenders. You have a team book full of people that can't necessarily carry their own stories. And again, they make, they stay popular. Yeah, it became a proving ground and a playground of sorts for uh, authors to take characters from other books and subsequently see what interesting new things they could do and add depth to their characters. Absolutely. So let's talk about the Secret Defenders, because this for a long time had actually been... Uh, the Defenders had not existed for quite a period at this point, mm-hmm. and they showed up almost randomly in the Marvel Universe. Um, they were brought back in 93, again under Doctor, Strange leader, under Doctor Strange's leadership. As a matter of fact, they started... The first issue of the Secret Avengers occurs in Doctor Strange issue 50, volume 3. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't even a mainline Secret of uh, Defenders. They, they're like, hey... This is Doctor Strange. This is his team. This is him putting it back to work. Yeah. As a kid, I remember seeing a cover for Secret Defenders in the little gas station that I used to buy my comics at when I lived out in the country, which that's a whole other story on, mm-hmm. on itself. But it was Doctor Strange and I believe Ghost Rider in that issue and Wolverine. And I was just like, this. these are random characters. Darkhawk, right? man. Darkhawk, Dark yes. Darkhawk, my boy. Yeah, you do, you do love you some Darkhawk. So you had Secret Defenders that lasted uh, from 93 to 95, and it was very much kind of in the spirit of the original mission-based. Doctor Strange would assemble who he needed at that time for that particular for that particular threat and then move on. There was no team, per se. No. It was just, I need you. You can take a hit. We're very fighting someone who hits hard. Very of a week. Yeah, and it was fun because you didn't have to worry about these cumbersome storylines. At that particular time in Marvel, there was the clone saga going on through the Spider-Man books, which was exhausting for everybody involved. So they just wanted a good, lighthearted, fun book that was just adventure after adventure with some of your favorite heroes. Yes. You could jump in at any time and pick up an arc, and you wouldn't have to know the established team because there wasn't an established team. And so that made it very easy to read, and they were fun and interesting stories because it was very tailored to what they were dealing with that week. And it gave some characters some new life, like we talked about before, a mainstay ongoing of the Defenders series just taking these subsequent characters, especially they really filed it down to its pureness in the secret defenders have just been like, hey, we're just going to have a different team every other week. We're just going to go in and uh, establish what needs to be taken care of instead of everybody being like, oh, why is the Hulk taking care of something mystical? Let's just, let's get a mystical team together to handle this problem or a science team together to handle the science problem. Yeah, exactly. And that, that spirit carried on for the entire duration of the secret defenders run. And again, we then we lost track of them for a few more years, about six years, until what two thousand one? We got a short series with the original members. Yes, and that was uh, there wasn't anything really noteworthy about that series. It was just kind of a reunion piece. It was more of a hallmark. Yeah, it was. I believe it was just like a six episode or six issue shot. It was. Yeah, it was a one shot story. Little arc. Yeah, it was a very little arc. Uh, but they did actually a couple of years later get a get a mini series. Another again with the original team just to kind of pay homage to the history of the Defenders. So you can see here that the Defenders have always been a background feature of the Marvel Universe. They were a team without being a team. Yes. They were known without being popular. It's always been kind of their thing. And that's so quite an achievement when you really think about exactly. how long they've been around and how low they've flown under the radar. I mean, it's, it's, look, if you look at just even inside the Marvel Universe itself, the, the name Defenders is always meant with a little bit more respect than, say, the Champions. In fact, mm-hmm. there's a lot of jokes thrown at Champions in the, during the 
Civil War or post-Civil War area. I think at one point Spider-Man makes a joke saying that we're not calling ourselves the champions. Yeah. Yeah. So the Defenders at least garnered a bit more respect than some of the other random Marvel teams. And we wouldn't have our next incarnation until 08 with the ironically named The Last Defenders. This is uh, occurring under the events right after the fallout of Civil War. Oh, Civil War. And this team was formed by uh, Tony Hart. Tony Tony Stark. Tony Hawk. Tony Stark. Sorry, Mike's having some issues today. I got some brain farts today. And words hard me saying, I don't know. Uh, But formed by Tony Stark. Uh, Nighthawk wanted to form the team, and he wanted to pick the original members, and Tony was like, being Tony, was like, no. You can make the team. I'll pick the members, though. Well, also at that point, a lot of the original members were actually part of the Secret Avengers now hiding after Tony mm-hmm. Stark, so some of them were unavailable for comment. Yes, yeah, so we only had four mainline characters in that issue. Only... I think one or two. I don't think any of them actually have been previous defenders at this point. Uh, but the starting of the lineup was Nighthawk, Colossus, She-Hulk, and Blazing Skull. I don't even know who Blazing Skull was. Blazing Skull, I don't remember much. Blazing of. Skull sounds like a knockoff version of Ghost Rider. Like, oh, okay. All right. It sounds like DC's like, all right, we need to make a, a non-canon uh, cameo of Ghost Rider to make something some fun of him. You how mean kind of like this? how Hyperion makes fun of Blazing Superman? Blazing Skull. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so that was the 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 08 miniseries, and again, that didn't last long. There was a lot of a lot of throwing spaghetti at the wall, so to speak, in that yes. post Civil War era, because a lot of people were were disenfranchised by the events of that first big Marvel event, and we didn't really see the next version of the Defenders again until 2011 mm-hmm. for a 12-issue series that started off with the original members and then kind of in the spirit of the Secret Defenders again kept rotating members through it. Uh, I think at that point we actually saw Power Man and Iron Fist yes, on the Defenders. we had Iron Fist. We had started off with uh, 2011 yeah, Doctor Strange, Red She-Hulk, Namor, Silver Surfer, Iron Fist. So they were like, hey, we can't do Hulk. We'll just throw Red She-Hulk in there. That's good enough. Yeah, and it's interesting that we, that we see Doctor Strange, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist mm-hmm. because actually at that time they were some of the staple members in Brian Michael Bendis's new Avengers run, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that that series was very interesting. It only lasted twelve issues. It ended up retconning the retcon of retcon. Even though we've talked about retcons in our last episode, this is a pretty stunning one because. There was that, you know, that little troublesome thing about that prophecy. If the original members ever got back together, they're going to destroy the world. Which they've gotten back together three times already. Yeah, yeah. Funny how that works. uh, To to deal with that in this 12-issue run, Doctor Strange, just at the end of the 12-issue run, just goes back in time and uh, makes it that any of the reunions never happened. Just uh, retcons the whole history of the Defenders. They were like, oh, shit we got to deal with that giant uh, loophole in our story, uh, whatever. Ah, it's just gone. It's all gone. That's pretty convenient when you think about it. Um, yep. And then the next Defenders ish- series that we got was actually in 2013, which spun out of the Fear Itself event. And this one's kind of interesting because it actually has nothing to do with previous Defenders in- incarnations with the exception of the name. Mm-hmm. Another cool. event, by the way, in which they all reunited. Just yep. uh, saying, actually, they all reunited to deal with one of the original baddies that they all got together for fight in the first place. Yep. 
And then, so you had Fearless Defenders, which actually felt more like a Daughters of the Dragon spinoff. You had Misty yeah, Knight. Uh, I think Valkyrie was in that. Mm-hmm. So I think she was the only even previous Defender in there at one point. Um, but again, Fearless Defenders was just kind of a, a, a spinoff of Heroes for Hire and, and Daughters of the Dragon. And it was more of a parallel to that than an actual Defenders book. But it does earn its place in Defenders history. Now, this is where we get gets interesting because these, we've talked a lot about main continuity versions of the Defenders. In the Ultimate Universe which was Marvel's rebranded, kind of modernized incarnation of their universe, we actually did get the Ultimate Defenders, who were a bunch of non-powered teenagers who really just wanted to play-act and LARP like superheroes. In fact, the only powered person on their team after the first two volumes of Ultimates was actually Hank Pym. Mm -hmm. And they were very... It was very much like the real world of superheroes. They were partying and really just wanted to act like superheroes without actually doing anything. Very interesting direction to take them. Very interesting. Although, that also kind of jives with the ultimate version of Doctor Strange, who was a TV magician. Yeah. Um, It's interesting that they did that, especially post-Civil War, because that was very much the attitude that the New Warriors had pre-Civil War. So Uh they kind of paralleled that there. It wasn't... That That was, again, what, uh, 2013, 2014? Again, prior to the end of the Marvel of the Marvel Ultimate Universe. Um, and we haven't seen a Defenders book again until here recently, until back in June of this yeah, year. 2017. Yeah. So we've gone, what is that, almost five decades and uh, of Defenders and... We got two notable names that have never been mentioned in five decades. You mean Defenders. characters that are on the Netflix series that have never been Defenders? Michael, who would they be? We got Jessica Joan and Daredevil. 50% of the new Defenders team have never been Defenders in their entire continuity. Yep. In fact, Daredevil has actually been an Avenger more often than he's been a Defender. Absolutely. And interesting, let's talk about Jessica Jones here because she's actually a character who was retconned into the Marvel hit mm-hmm. Marvel Universe. She first appeared in a Jessica Jones Max series, and for our listeners, uh, Marvel Max was kind of their R-rated comics. It was like that were DC Vertigo, if you're familiar with Very that. similar, yes. Uh, I think for the longest time, the only Max titles available were Jessica Jones, War Machine, Punisher. There was uh, um, Agent X, Agent I X as well. Yeah, so it, it was a very limited run, but it was a very, very different Marvel book. Absolutely. It was a, it was mold breaking. In fact, the first season of Jessica Jones on the Netflix series actually is pretty much right out yeah. of touches all on Alias her, her, uh, of her run. And that's you're right, you brought it up. Her book was actually titled Alias. Alias. Mm-hmm. Um, and her history, she was actually retconned into the Marvel universe. She was actually a classmate of Peter Parker's. Mm-hmm. In fact, in an issue of New Avengers, they actually show her origin, quote-unquote, and point to a a previously unnamed classmate and say that this was Jessica Jones. And we find out that Jessica actually had a crush on Peter Parker in Mm -hmm. high school. Pretty pretty clever writing on behalf of uh, Brian Michael Bendis, who went back and actually made her part of the Marvel Universe while creating an entirely new character. It helped really bond her to uh, New York as well, which is her mainstay and what's the street level and... What's taking her through to her incarnation of what she is today yeah. through Alias and their investigation agency, etc. So let's talk a little more about Jessica because she's gone through the probably one of the biggest character swings of the the current mm-hmm. lineup of Defenders because she originally, originally again in her retconned history, appeared as a superhero known as Jewel. Mm-hmm. 
very much a powered character, very spunky, kind of similar. Imagine a combination of Rogue and Shadowcat. Very spunky, kind of the, the little sister of the Avengers. She was actually an Avenger for a short time. Yeah. But was put in a coma and kind of forgotten about, which is, again, kind of an arc that, that Bendis uses a little too much, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. He used it for Century and some other characters. But they established her as a powerful figure and throughout the Marvel Universe, uh, she is. We don't know what to do with her. Coma! Uh, there you go. Got it. It, wor- it. it works in soap operas. It'll work here. That's right. We'll wake her up. She'll have an evil twin sister that's currently dating her boyfriend who he didn't know she was in a coma. It writes itself, people. Yep. And so Jessica really became part of the the, the Avengers and Defenders family through her relationship with Luke Cage, mm-hmm. which started off uh, again in her Max series. They worked closely together, became lovers, kind of like how they did in the Netflix series. And uh, they were actually bodyguards. To one Matt Murdock. They were, in fact, which is cool because at the time, uh, prior to his run on Avengers, Brian Michael Bendis had a great run on Daredevil, which actually he played a lot with the relationship between Matt Murdock and Luke Cage. Mm -hmm. In fact, Luke Cage often worked for Matt as kind of an enforcer and info gatherer on the streets. In fact, I remember one panel specifically where Luke is interrogating someone for Matt and Matt's on the phone with him and he says, it's the guy on your left. His heart's about to explode, and Luke points at the wrong guy, and you actually see a dialogue bubble where Matt goes, no, the other one. It's a pretty funny moment. Um, So, yeah, so you have kind of an established relationship between Matt Murdock and Luke Cage, and now Luke Cage knows Jessica Jones. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Luke Cage knows Iron Fist, as they had pretty much been best friends for quite some time. uh, as As Matt Murdock's bodyguard, Daredevil, that they actually have their first one of the first little trysts, and end up making love, and Jessica gets pregnant. Well, before that, there's an interesting little controversy regarding uh, the relationship between Jessica Jones and Luke oh, Cage. Oh, let's touch on that, this shall is, we? This is a fun one, so... Let's touch. Sorry, I was just staring very <laughs> awkwardly at Mike there for a second. Uh, so in the Jessica Jones alias series, um, there was it started with a rather, I won't say graphic, but uh, very... Obvious, pipe. obvious sex scene in which Jessica Jones and Luke Cage were engaged in, um, well, I'll be blunt, they were doing anal sex. Like we said, people were mold-breaking. <laughs> yeah. It was a completely different comic this, line. This was definitely a jarring experience. In fact, um, while the comic is, major, is actually great, a lot of print distributors had mm-hmm. issues with it. I think We p- got sodomy, people! Particularly in Alabama, where there were a lot of uh, anti-sodomy laws, mm-hmm. so there was actually a lot of distribution issues with this book because you had printers that were refusing to print and distribute the book even though they were being paid to do so by Marvel. So there was some, some really interesting controversy regarding this. In mm-hmm. fact, in whole regions, this book is actually really difficult to find. In the, the dark southern hole of our country. Well, let's sidestep that particular rant. Um, <laughs> metaphor. Metaphor, metaphor, metaphor. Um, so you have the established relationship between Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, the established relationship between Luke Cage and Iron Fist, and between Daredevil and Luke Cage and Daredevil and Iron and Jessica Jones, however briefly. And it wasn't until 
Brian Michael Bendis brought these characters together in his new Avengers run that they actually teamed up for the first time. In fact, during his second run of Avengers, Daredevil finally officially became an Avenger. He had been a secondary member for quite a while. In fact, Captain America had wanted him on the team for years. Quite some time. And he finally actually became an Avenger under Luke Cage's leadership. And the most prominent members of this particular Avengers team were Luke, Jessica, Danny, and Matt. And this was also right as Matt was going into his Shadowlands storyline, which is a dark story that we may cover one day. Mm -hmm. So they actually teamed up for the first time as Avengers, not Defenders. Yes. It's like it was a very interesting choice for uh, Netflix. And this is one of the things of media affecting other media than comics affecting the comics. Because these characters in their incarnation as street-level people have been around for a long time in the, the canon Marvel Universe, but they've taken on a new light in these TV shows we've had now, Netflix series, pushing them in to something that we'd never imagined in before, and really, in the history of the Defenders, just finally putting a name to it. Exactly. And it's funny that you mentioned being street-level, because actually Luke's Avengers team was a very street-level presence. In fact, mm -hmm. when he first took over leadership of the Avengers, he organized a moment where the Avengers themselves, who at that point were comprised of your classic bench of Captain America, Iron Man, Spider-Man, Wolverine, mm -hmm. the, the, original, quote, the original new Avengers, literally just stood on street corners in Harlem and through a sheer force of presence helped yeah, it stemmed out of his actions and uh, the way he set up uh, his motif and modem, uh, motive in Heroes for Hire. And then that transferred into his run on Mighty Adventures, where, where he had a street-level Avenger group, and into his uh, motives for the new Avengers team that he established. Exactly. So Luke Cage has always been a man of the people and taking care of make sure the little guys aren't forgotten about. Absolutely. He is definitely one of the more straightforward characters in that regard. Whereas Daredevil is your, your shadow character. He is the... I won't say he's a parallel to Batman, but he's very mm. much in the shadows and he yeah. sticks to particular elements. Um, the Devil of Hell's Kitchen. Yep. Jessica Jones tries very hard to not get involved with things, so mm -hmm. she's kind of a more alcoholic version of Logan without yeah. the benefit of a healing factor. Yeah. And Iron Fist is usually just kind of jet-setting around, fighting things as they come up. Mm -hmm. So he's less focused in that regard. So Luke is the, is the one who's made his... Who, yeah, who has maintained his integrity as a character all the way throughout his history. And uh, one, we're, while we're talking about them, a noticeable thing of one of these is not like the other. So we have Danny Rand... Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, who are all well known about their identities, uh, and what, like specifically in the fallout, Luke Cage of a, a civil war in the the Reg Hero Registration Act. Luke Cage took a hard stance because everybody already knew him. Everybody already knew Danny Rand. He's the head of Rand Industries and eats the Iron Fist. Everybody knows Jessica Jones. These these three were all known supers, and they were all known by their name. And Luke Cage took great offense to registering because he compared it with uh, Jim Crow laws of the early 1920s. And exactly. basically had been like, I already been through this. Well, he hadn't. He's like, we've been through this once. I'm not going to let it happen again to us. It was him and Isaiah Washington, the current at that time Patriot, who mm -hmm. was the grandson of Captain America Zero, 
Um, so that was Isaiah. Uh, Eli is the was the Patriot. Pardon me. Um, basically, he's kind of a Tuskegee Airman who they tested the Super yep. Soldier Serum on before they gave it to Steve Rogers. So two very very prominent characters spoke out heavily regarding that, and it was a really cool moment that actually spurred into a lot of his attitude through both his Avengers runs and in Defenders. But so, let's let's talk absolutely. about Luke Cage in. And the Avengers, because real, something real quick establishing, uh, finish my point about the one of these things not being like the other. Uh, so Matt Murdock, Daredevil, his his identity is not known, and maybe we can go a little bit more into that. But well, the yeah, incarnation no, of the comics. Let's talk about Matt and his identity because Danny, Luke, and Jessica, all three are working with Daredevil, but they don't know who his true identity is. Well, let's take a second and talk about Matt and his identity because Matt has had a lot of. Secret identity issues, probably <laughs> right up there with Spider-Man in terms of things. In fact, yep. there is a great arc. When I say great, I mean the fact that it is influential for Daredevil stories to come years afterward. It personally hurt me because it involved the death of one of my favorite characters. And after a tragic fall from grace, courtesy of Frank Miller. Um, but Karen Page ends up getting addicted to heroin, becomes a porn star, ends up selling Matt's identity to the Kingpin in order to score a hit. And the Kingpin, of course, has a field day with this and seeks to destroy Matt's life. And that goes on for years. In fact, it really comes to a head in Brian Michael Bendis' Daredevil run where his identity has yet again been publicly revealed, no matter how many times he lies about it. Newspapers are right with it. The, the FBI is involved. He has to testify that he's not Daredevil, and it causes so many issues. It's and that actually story. carries on into the next run by Mark Wade, where it's kind of the worst kept secret that Daredevil is Matt Murdock, and he, he's playing it off and playing it off. And the run culminates in him actually testifying that he is in fact Daredevil. Mm-hmm. And then, again, after all new, all different Marvel and things relaunched, suddenly everybody forgot Matt's identity yet again. How many times are they going to shove that genie back in the bottle? Yep. So it's a, it sets up an interesting dichotomy with the with the three and we'll get, with the four. We'll get talking about the current iteration of the Defenders here shortly. But the fact that we have Danny, Luke, and Jessica, who are all known as Danny, Luke, and Jessica, the world knows them as Danny, Luke, and Jessica, and Powers, and aren't having really current issues with it and they gotta trust Matt who they have no idea is Matt yeah and that's really interesting that you bring that up because Luke Cage kind of refuses to work with anybody that he can't trust Mm -hmm. so it really shows how much he trusts Daredevil if he's willing to sidestep his unknown identity Mm -hmm. it's a a really cool character beat and it's, it's something that carries on through a lot of comics featuring Daredevil because as I mentioned he's one of the most closely guarded secret identities out there with the exception of Spider-Man, which is actually what they bond over quite a bit. Yeah. It's starting to set up. I don't know if they're going to go into more friction into it in the future, but Luke's already took a couple little stabs at Matt. Uh, Matt and Luke are taking care of something, and they're like, oh, I wonder if the party... And Matt says, I wonder if the party with uh, Jessica and Danny, how they're doing. And Luke's like, see... How nice is it to use people's names? Wasn't that nice? Doesn't he Doesn't he guess and ask if his name is Jeff? He thinks his name's Gary. Gary, that's right. Gary. Gary. So let's talk about the newest Defenders book. We are four issues in. It is uh-huh. very Netflix-influenced, but not, that's not necessarily a negative. It's just making it easy to approach for people who've only known these characters through their respective Netflix series. Um, they are drawn into conflict with Diamondback. Yeah. 
Diamondback, who's a character who's been absent for comics for quite some time, has He's a very been st- dead. <laughs> he has been dead. He's had a very storied past with Luke Cage, but again, he's been dead for a long time, and uh-huh. no one, no one's actually gone knocking on that door trying to wake him up. He had a funeral and everything. Yeah, it was. He was literally put to rest, and he's back somehow, and he's angry, very angry. In and fact, he's powered. He is powered. Um, but he's he's pretty pissed, and he comes gunning specifically for Luke Cage and everybody close to Luke, and makes his first attack, actually before he even strikes out at Luke, at Jessica, who mm-hmm. is married to Luke, although they're a bit estranged at the moment, but mm-hmm. let's face it, trying to live with Jessica's got, has got to be a struggle. And they have a daughter. Married with child. Yeah. So he comes gunning at Jessica before he ever strikes at, at Luke and friends. In fact, mm-hmm. what draws him to... Um, what draws Diamondback out is uh, the group allies to take down a club. And it's Luke Cage and Iron Fist and Daredevil. This causes a headache for what Diamondback is trying to do, so he decides he's going to prove a point. So he and does- it specifically hasn't touched on, because they all, at the very beginning of the first issue, they all get attacked. Uh, a missile gets launched. It, it's Luke. They, they attack Danny. Uh, it, they attack Matt. And yeah, it doesn't that's, specifically say they attack. They attack Matt Murdock. Matt Murdock, not Daredevil. And at the time, he's he has no relation with the group. They hadn't been working together with the other three, and his identity has been erased. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's they still haven't explained how Diamond, if even he knew that Matt Murdock, or was he just striking at them because Matt Murdock is still the three's lawyer. Exactly. So that carries us into the first arc where they're really hunting for Diamondback. And there's actually some really cool art in this book. They Mm. play up the kind of color schemes that you see a lot in the Netflix series with Jessica being isolated in purple, Luke in yellow, Danny in green, green, Matt in red. It's, they, they play a lot on that Netflix vibe, and that makes it a really approachable for people who've never actually jumped into comics and only come across oh, these characters because of the Netflix this series. straight out a launching point for the Netflix yeah. cinematic universe. Yeah, it, into it, it, it's, a, it's a very easy jumping on point. Um, but they do some fun stuff, and actually they bring up a character who's introduced in the second season of Daredevil. Uh, Jessica, Danny, and Matt actually have run afoul of the Punisher Mm-hmm. in one issue. Now, they take him down relatively quickly, but they're, they're certainly not happy to be fighting Frank, and it's really cool because Frank and Matt actually have quite a storied history. Matt is probably the only heroes out there that constantly tries to save Frank from himself, where everybody else is pretty much just done with him. Mm-hmm. And then we also have uh, a reintroduction of the Night Nurse in the very first issue. So, it, it is just slam, slap right to the face, saying, hey, you watch the Netflix series, here's the book for you. There's also a tease in there because there, for a long time um, it was speculated, in fact it's, it's still currently speculated, that um, a Midnight Suns Netflix series might occur mm-hmm. starring Blade. And Blade actually comes up to save Luke Cage's ass. Yep. So, Oh god, I want that so bad. It's a He's... he's there and gone. He's like a three-panel presence. But it's the first time we've seen Blade in the Marvel Universe in quite some time. And it's a big deal. It's a big nod of the hat considering how much this is established and designed specifically for the Netflix series. Yeah, so... And these characters have never... Or two of the characters have never been Defenders. Uh, and I'll, they've never pulled for anything from the Defenders. Much of the Netflix canon, as a matter of fact, has been drawn from... 
the original 1972 Power Man and Iron Fist, which was their group was paid for and funded by Jerry Hogarth, uh-huh. who's another prominent member in the Netflix series. That's also where Misty Knight and Calling Wing came out of that series. Exactly. So it's heavily influenced in that yeah, there, series. Yeah, there's two series that really that really power this this new Netflix iteration, and actually, again, tying into this current comic, have been the Power Man and Iron Fist and Brian Michael Bendis' run on both Daredevil and New Avengers. Mm-hmm. His runs have been entirely, uh, have, have really inspired the, the, the Netflix series, that as well as the works of Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So again, we're we're four issues into this series, and it's done by Brian Michael Bendis. And I'm sorry, I think it's I think it's David Marquez doing the art. I believe so. Yeah, it's again, it's a fun series. It's I believe it's a monthly book. It is really approachable. It's just a good fun story. The best thing I can say about it is that its its pacing is really well done. Yes, Marquez is yeah. doing the art. It is brilliantly paced. The characters take time to actually think and react and respond it's not just go 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 we gotta punch something we gotta punch something and it's not just dialogue 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 there is funny moments in there these are characters that brian michael bendis has known and worked with and obviously loved for quite some time and this is really his sweet spot hey and danny's actually a badass We'll get into that. I'm sitting here wearing an we'll Iron talk Fist about shirt, that in the next and you, you, you can't rag on me on, on my Iron Fist. But um, Danny's, yeah, he's a bit of a bamf, uh, and some fun stuff happens with the use of the Iron Fist, especially mm-hmm. against a now-powered Diamondback. There are some really fun character moments yeah. that leave you chuckling as you turn the page. So I, I would definitely recommend picking it up. Mike, what's your vote on this new series? Uh, definitely. Uh, especially, like I said, it is... Just from the ground up, designed to be a launching pad to get people of the Netflix series into comic books. It's like, hey, you watch Netflix series, you've never picked up a comic book before, you like them, hey, we're gonna tailor make you a comic with only touching on the things you know, the characters you know, and we're gonna put them together and in, in a, a new exciting character arc for you to deal with. And uh, we don't have to pay for $100,000 of special effects. Yeah, it is actually a really, really fun tale. And you mentioned that it's approachable. This is definitely one of the easiest jumping on points I've seen from Marvel in quite some time. Quite some time. So let's talk about recommendations for these characters. We know that the core staple is Jessica, Luke, Danny, and Matt. Uh, Mike, what would you recommend for people who want to learn more about these characters? Uh, I would definitely recommend, even though it's been retconned a little bit for Jessica, the her original alias run. Absolutely. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, and for for Danny, he had a... Um, gosh, it's escaping me. Who's the artist? When he did a, a relaunch of the character, the comic was called The Immortal Iron Fist. Matt Fraction. Matt Fraction. Matt Fraction's Immortal Iron Fist. run, Immortal Iron Fist, is phenomenal. It brought the character back into the, the spotlight that he should have been in all along and, and really just did some great things on with him on that. That's what I think the whoever is the next showrunner on Iron Fist Season 2 needs to read Mac Fraction's run and just do that. It's yeah. so good. That was cool because it, it delved a lot into the history of Kun Lun and mm-hmm. the Iron Fist legacy. There was a lot of cool things there. How about for Luke? Anything that Luke, comes to mind? Uh, Luke, definitely. I like uh, the Mighty Avengers. I really liked his, his run on that for the, the street-level uh, Avengers. And uh, Daredevil, there's so many places you could jump on was it Mark Wade's yeah. Daredevil is just 
that's a phenomenal run. I highly recommend that. Uh, Luke hasn't had his a mainline series. Well, he has. He had a short. Uh, He's got. Five a, he, issue he has a current ongoing right now. Oh, he does have. Yeah, a current they all. Ongoing. They all have an ongoing right now. In fact, mm. um, actually, issue four. Yeah. Bendis and. Um, his original partner, Alex Maleev, are actually doing another Jessica Jones book, which I've heard great things about. I haven't had a chance to actually pick it up yet. And Luke Cage is, what, four issues in? Yes, said? Luke Cage is at four issues in. Jessica Jones, um, actually, Jessica Jones has had quite a run. We're at issue 12 of yeah, Jessica they Jones. They started her book right when her Netflix series launched. Yes, and it, it like, again, it, all these books, uh, they everybody has an independent comic series right now for yes. the Defenders. Uh, so Daredevil's the only one that's like Luke Cage, Iron Fist, uh, uh, Iron Fist to lesser, but Luke Cage and Jessica Jones have been tailor made to like, hey, you watch the show, get into these series. So that's a good jumping on point. But Daredevil and Iron Fist, they've they've have a little bit more baggage that they've dealing uh, actually, with. Actually, I, I will talk about the because I'm I'm currently reading it the. Iron Fist book by Ed Breeson. Mm-hmm. That is a very fun, a very fun arc. I picked it up randomly. It was actually a promo gift that I got when I was at Fan Expo Dallas. So I sat there in line and read the first issue, fell in love with it, and that was the first Iron Fist book I've read in a long time. The first arc is really all about Danny competing in a kung fu tournament, and it it's a, there's an obvious Mortal Kombat vibe Mortal in that first. Kombat. Exactly, and they lean into it. They work really hard to kind of go, no, this is a kung fu book. It's going to be about kung fu. We're not going to sidestep that. Good to hear. The the Ed Breeson and uh, sorry, the current run of Iron Fist by Ed Breeson is an amazing book. Seriously, check it out. It's a fun time. It seventh issue just came out. Great stuff. We're actually on eight issues now. Has it come out yet? Yes. Is you know, I I picked up number, number seven today. Oh. Never mind. I was counting an uh, alternative art cover as a uh, issue eight. Uh-huh. Um, so, so my recommendations, again, I would recommend pretty much everything that Mike just talked about, especially, again, the, the Iron Fist run. Um, Jessica Jones's new book, again, from what I've heard, is really solid. It gets, it's Brian Michael Bendis created this character. He loves her. He's in his sweet spot when he's dealing with her. And there's kind of a mystery going on in her book that ties into some of the character elements and defenders. It's not important. It doesn't play off what you don't know. It's just, it's added fun. Um, For Daredevil, I would actually, again, recommend Mark Wade's run. I'm going to talk about this pretty in depth because I actually loved this book. Uh, He had quite a run on Daredevil. It was him and Chris Samney, who are my absolute favorite Marvel creative duo. They won an Eisner Award for their their run on Daredevil. It's the good stuff. It really is. It's a great run. Pick it up. It's got great character work, great drama, fun. The art is classic, and it's just an amazing book. Check it out. But this has actually been part one of our Defender special. Uh, tune in next week. We're actually going to be covering the Netflix series in depth. That's right. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps us up for today. So tune in next week, guys.